that they may all be one. I'm delighted this evening for this service for the eve of the conversion of St Paul and also for the week of prayer for Christian unity to welcome as our preacher Father Gary Bench, assistant priest at the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Brentwood and also a friend of mine from my time in Rome for this week is a particular of in particular importance to me having spent four years working at the Anglican Centre in Rome, uh, the Anglican Communion's official representation to the Vatican. Dearly beloved brethren, the scripture moveth us in sundry places to acknowledge and confess our manifold sins and wickedness, and that we should not dissemble nor cloak them before the face of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, but confess them with an humble, lowly, penitent and obedient heart, to the end that we may obtain forgiveness of the same by his infinite goodness and mercy. And although we ought at all times humbly to acknowledge our sins before God, yet ought we most chiefly so to do, when we assemble and meet together, to render thanks for the great benefits that we have received at his hands, to set forth his most worthy praise, to hear his most holy word, and to ask those things which are requisite and necessary, as well for the body as the soul. Wherefore, I pray and beseech you, as many as are here present, to accompany me with a pure heart and humble voice unto the throne of the heavenly grace, saying after me. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep, we have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health on us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, According to thy promises, declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord, and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desireth not the death of a sinner, but rather that he may turn from his wickedness and live, and hath given power and commandment to his ministers to declare and pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardoneth and absolveth all them that truly repent and unfailedly believe his holy gospel. Wherefore, let us beseech him to grant us true repentance and his Holy Spirit, that those things may please him which we do at this present, and that the rest of our life hereafter may be pure and holy so that at the last we may come to his eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 
the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. choir will sing Psalm 149.
beginneth the 49th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah. Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people, from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for naught and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now, saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, though Israel be not gathered, Yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth, to them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far, and lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Simon. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains. For the Lord hath comforted his people, and will have mercy upon his afflicted. Here endeth the first lesson.
Here beginneth the third verse of the 22nd chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And Paul said unto them, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground, and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, Receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men, of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptised, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here endeth the second lesson.
I believe in God, the Father God. Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. in our time. 
Grant, we beseech thee, that we, having his wonderful conversion in remembrance, may show forth our thankfulness unto thee for the same, by following the holy doctrine which he taught, through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, the fountain of all wisdom, we humbly beseech thee to bless our sovereign lady, Queen Elizabeth, and all who are set in authority under her, that they may order all things in wisdom, righteousness, and peace, to the honour of thy holy name and the good of thy church and people, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. God save our gracious sovereign and all the members of the royal family. Amen. We continue in prayer. As we remember all those who are suffering or who have died at the hands of the novel coronavirus, and all those who are working to alleviate the suffering of others, to comfort those who are grieving, or on the medicines and vaccines cure or prevent this disease. Let us pray this prayer from the Church of Ireland. Almighty God, the Lord of life and death, of health and sickness, have pity upon us miserable sinners now visited with great sickness and mortality. Withdraw from us this grievous affliction. Enlarge our charity to relieve those who need our help Bless the remedies applied to assist them. Give us prudence to see and vigour to use those means which thy providence affords for preventing and alleviating such calamities. And above all, teach us to know how frail and uncertain our condition is, and so to number our days, that we may seriously apply our hearts to that holy and heavenly wisdom whilst we live, that we may, in the end, be brought unto life everlasting. Through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, thine only Son, our Lord. Amen. At this time, as we remember all Christians spread across the world, each in our several churches and denominations, we pray for the leaders of our own church, 
for Archbishop Welby and all the primates of the Anglican Communion. We pray for Pope Francis and all Roman Catholics spread across the world, for Patriarch Bartholomew and the Orthodox churches, for Pope Taldros of the Coptic churches, for the leaders of the Methodist Church, of the Free Churches, of the Presbyterians and the Baptists, and of all other Christians. We remember most especially those who are suffering for their faith at this time. We pray for the 750 people killed within the church in Ethiopia. We pray for the persecuted Christians of Nigeria, of Syria, of Iraq, of Pakistan, of Iran, and of so many other countries. O God, the creator and preserver of all mankind, we humbly beseech thee for all sorts and conditions of men, that thou wouldst be pleased to make thy ways known unto them, thy saving health unto all nations. More especially we pray for the good estate of the Catholic Church, that it may be so guided and governed by thy good spirit that all who profess and call themselves Christians may be led into the way of truth and hold the faith in unity of spirit, in the bond of peace and in righteousness of life. Finally, we commend to thy fatherly goodness all those who are any ways afflicted or distressed in mind, body or estate, that it may please thee to comfort and relieve them according to their several necessities giving them patience under their sufferings and a happy issue out of all their afflictions. This we beg, for Jesus Christ his sake. Amen. We pray also, most especially in this week, for the Anglican Centre in Rome, for its director and for all who work with and for it. Almighty and ever-living God, who hast called us in the body of thy Son, Jesus Christ, to continue his work of reconciliation. In gratitude, we celebrate the presence of the Anglican Centre in Rome and give thanks for its reconciling witness to Christian unity. As we remember the gift of hope that so inspired its creation, we pray that this same hope may strengthen us in our witness to justice and peace in the world and encourage us in our commitment to one body, one faith and one Lord, even Jesus Christ, Thy risen and glorified Son, who liveth and reigneth with thee, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost, be with us all evermore. Amen. The choir will now sing the anthem, How Lovely Are the Messengers, from Mendelssohn's Oratorio, St. Paul.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Nearly 60 years ago, the popular satirical songwriter Tom Lehrer wrote a song called National Brotherhood Week. National Brotherhood Week was an American initiative aimed at healing social division. Lehrer subjects it to his typical caustic wit in which he imagines one week of everyone making a little bit of an effort before going back to the comfortable things that were before. One week is manageable because, in his own words, it's fun to eulogise the people you despise. But any more than that would be a little bit tiresome. 
against an historical background of deep social division, Lyra mockingly depicts civil rights activists dancing cheek to cheek with the very judges who sought to prevent integration. It's a biting and yet oh so singable commentary on societal insincerity. Imagine Donald Trump dancing a tango with Nancy Pelosi and you get the idea. This is not National Brotherhood Week. It's Christian Unity Week. It's a week marked usually by special services and events. It's a week in which it might be particularly appropriate to invite someone you know or a friend from a different Christian community to preach, to say a few nice things before we all go back to our own little patch, tending our own little vines, seeing growth here and there, but by and large tending vines that don't quite grow as they used to. We can sign covenants, we can issue joint statements, we can swap pulpits. Popes and archbishops can exchange shiny pieces of ecclesiastical finery, but such grand gestures risk becoming tokenistic spectacles. For the sake of an ever-dwindling number of followers, and in the presence of a secular world that has turned the other way. It is at best uninterested, it is at worst hostile. We can't go back to the way things were before. And I'm not just talking about Christian Unity Week. At the risk of unintended trolling, I never imagined as a boy serving in Canterbury Cathedral that I would see the Archbishop preside at a Eucharist with Tupperware acting as a Reredos. Never did I imagine in my time in the seminary that my first year of priesthood would be typified by saying Mass behind locked doors. Never did I imagine that the public celebration of baptism, and let's be clear that baptism unites us far more than any theological divide could separate us, that the public celebration of baptism would be banned. Catholic ownership of the English martyrs tempts me to want to make a comparison with penal times, but that would be unsatisfactory. Never has a secular government imposed a blanket ban on every kind of worship of God. These are unprecedented times. They're unprecedented times made worse not by religious zealotry, but by religious indifference. The impact of lockdown has affected us all in different ways. Many have experienced the pain of loss, a loved one, relative, friend, partner. Some unable to say goodbye at those last moments some not able even to attend the funeral. It makes the wound that is left by the passing of a loved one all that more difficult to heal. None of us has been unaffected. Those of us who are fortunate have found it frustrating. Many, 
It's been devastating. But there's just one aspect of all of that that I'd like to comment on, and that's the closure of churches. The government ordered that our churches be closed, and we complied. Rightly, in my view, certainly for the first lockdown, and if you remember when the November lockdown was announced, we were not mentioned in the statement. Not worth including, perhaps. We were an afterthought. We were an afterthought because we live in a part of the world and we live in an era in which institutional Christianity itself is under threat. Secularism, in various forms of subtlety and aggression, is in the ascendancy and Christian infighting and Christian one-upmanship presents itself to those who adopt that secularist worldview as nothing more than childish squabbles. Childish squabbles over whose ancient myth matters least. Ironically, and in their incurious ignorance, it is those who present themselves as Christianity's greatest critics who are able to see what we as Christians often overlook. And that is what we have in common. But if only we really were as they fear us to be. If only we really were united. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not now, having just criticised the grand gestures of my colleagues, going to now peddle my own pipe dream. Rather, what I want to propose tonight is something that we as clergy are generally not very good at. Something which we can truly unite around. Something which also respects our integrity and our different theological opinions. And something which is sensible, workable and practical. The imposition of lockdown in the name of a greater good brought with it great suffering. It also dragged down into the deep many of those in our society who were just about treading water. But it also brought out the best in many of us as well. Churches were at the forefront of that. Those of us who could opened our churches for private prayer as soon as we were able to enable those most struck by loneliness and isolation to come through our doors to pray, to light a candle, or simply to sit in the presence of God and know that they were not contending with the fevers of life alone. Throughout the lockdown, many churches, St Bart's included, quickly organised themselves to provide online worship, enabling their flock, their congregations, to worship at home in truth and beauty. Other churches maintained telephone support with the sick and the housebound, Online sermons and lectures, blogs made a comeback in a way not seen since about 2008. Food banks have continued to be supported by churches. Food and household essentials are the same, whether they're bought by Catholics or whether they're bought by Protestants. Hunger and poverty are just as ecumenical in their selection of victims where we have been allowed, where we have been able, we have brought our people their final anointing and commended them 
to the mercy of Almighty God, sometimes holding their hand as they've slipped away into eternity. Various churches in East London organised themselves to provide a 24-hour on-call provision for those who are dying, alongside a similar level of cover, providing spiritual and emotional support for loved ones who were not able to be there. Thankfully, it wasn't as we feared it would be. Not there, anyway. What we do as Christians is essential. Our faith, our worship, our acts of love. Like the mystery of the triune God, it is sensible to see distinction, but foolish to separate them out. It was a coalition of the willing, comprising representatives of various churches and religious groups, who in November asked the government to provide evidence for its decision to close us down. Sir Edward Lee, the President of the Catholic Union of Great Britain, praised the work of churches and invited the Prime Minister to join him for Mass at Westminster Cathedral. Theresa May, the former Prime Minister and Parson's daughter, warned of the dangers of so quickly dismissing the importance of public worship, and not just for those who avail themselves of that right, but for everyone. Their voices, joined with those of others, together highlighted why public worship is essential. As essential as supermarkets, although safer. For while our bodies require sustenance, so too do our souls. For man cannot live by bread alone. And we know that we are fortunate. It's easy to be courageous when our freedom is not in peril. It's easy to be courageous sat comfortably behind our computer screens typing furiously away. The same cannot be said for our brothers and sisters across the world. And we've prayed for them tonight. There are those in our society who would close churches tomorrow. In the name of public health or for whatever reason, partly because they may not recognise in their own sincerity the value of public worship and of the work of churches. They may not see the real value of our mission, and it's a mission which is evident even by secular standards. There are those who would close or seize our schools, even if that means denying the parents the right to select an education in harmony with their own values. There are those who seek prevent the work of chaplains in prisons, hospitals, and even our armed forces. This manifested itself in a particular way back in April, when a certain group tried to remove clergy from the list of key workers, an attempt to hinder our ability to live out our calling. And amongst other things, to prevent us attending to the dying, comforting mourners, and even to conduct funerals, of which there were far too many. But we have seen 
when we work together practically. When we work together practically in response to a crisis, it is astounding what we can achieve. Giving food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, clothing to the naked and shelter to the homeless, visiting the sick and the imprisoned, and burying the dead. We offer prayers for those in need. We instruct those who don't yet know the joy of knowing Christ. We counsel the doubtful. We encourage those who feel trapped in prisons of sin. We offer comfort to the afflicted. And we try to offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us and to bear with them patiently. The crisis we face here has encouraged or perhaps forced us to work together to meet the challenges as they have presented themselves. In our own country alone, the societal value of the work of churches has been valued in the billions, and our own government has recognised that. It's an achievement not to be dismissed. And while we should rightly be proud of what we have done, we cannot afford to sit sucking our thumbs like satisfied toddlers. There will be times where we can argue, debate, fight and throw tantrums as only brothers and sisters know how. But there are also times where we must stand together and present a united front against the dangers in our society, physical or spiritual, and to the challenges which face all of us who bear the name of Christian. It is rare that Christians from across different communities can sing not just from the same hymn book, but sing the same hymn and hopefully sing in the same key. This, in my view, is most self-evidently one of those times. Yes, the health crisis we face is dangerous. There is an immediate risk to our physical health and to our bodies. There is also the risk that certain responses can leave our souls neglected if we take certain liberties for granted. Yes, we face opposition and we will continue to do so. There is immediate opposition to our continued freedom of worship, as I said, by those who perhaps in sincerity don't value what it is we do. But there is also a long-term agenda which seeks to oppose our contributions to education and care for the vulnerable. There is opposition to our long-cherished beliefs and even our continued free participation in society. But such opposition presents us with an opportunity. An opportunity to unite around a common goal and work together to defend our most basic of freedoms. Perhaps our prayer tonight might be that we would have the courage to seize it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
It has been a great joy to be able to welcome Father Gary here this evening for this service of Evensong. And as he trailed, I suppose, in a way in his sermon, we have been doing our best to bring the worship of this church online so that those who are not able to be with us in person, because you're shielding, because it's a bit far away, because they're in a different country, are able nonetheless to be with us in spirit and online. And to that end, I suppose, I, I want to flag up a couple of online services that are coming up quite soon, um, and indeed online events. We have, to, we have just had tonight the first of our Lectio Divina by Zoom. Um, if you would like to join us in future weeks, it will be at 4.15, and the link will be um, attached on the Facebook and YouTube and website sections for this for this service coming up soon we've got on the 30th of january next saturday a service for charles king and martyr marking the day on which king charles was martyred and um online the bishop of southwark will be here and the royal martyr church union will be holding their annual service from here with a sermon by father anthony howe from hampton court um, we will also, at 11 o'clock on that day, be holding an in-person service using the old service from the Book of Common Prayer that was authorised in 1662. So if you're around and would like to come to that, please do. On the 2nd of February, it being Candlemas, we're going to have a slightly different online service and in-person service. In person, you can come along and there'll be candles on your seats and we'll have a Eucharist. Online, we'll be having an Evensong. And the choir will be singing some of the great Marian pieces that they can get their hands on. But also they'll be dotted around the church, using this space as best we can and using as much light and as many candles as possible for that service. So I invite you to join us either in person or online for that. And Ash Wednesday is also coming up. And for that, in person, of course, we'll have Ash Wednesday services. But if you're joining us online, we thought we'd do something a bit special we're going to follow the old order for Ash Wednesday of a matins, litany and service of commination or denouncement of God's anger against sinners. And we'll be putting that online in the morning and also, because ashing is so important for Ash Wednesday, we're going to follow what we did for the, with the chalk for the epiphany, of send, where we sent out chalk to all the members of the electoral roll. And we'd like to do that again for Ash Wednesday with little bits of ash which we'll send out in the post and hope won't get stopped by the post office thinking it's either anthrax or drugs. But we'll be sending those out, but for that we're going to need palm crosses to burn, we're going to need a lot if we're going to be sending the ash out. So if you've got a palm cross at home, send it in, or if you're nearby, drop it off, so that we can burn those and then disperse the ashes so that you can ash yourself from home as a part of the service on Ash Wednesday. In a moment... We'll be delighted by an organ voluntary, and I invite you, during that, to imagine that the collection bowl were going round in the old days, and to think about what you would have given had you been here, and to make that contribution online, using the links on Facebook, on YouTube, on the website, um, to the payment portal, and to be able to make your offering that way. Because it's frankly the only way that we're able to keep going, the only way our wonderful choir is able to keep singing, the only way this wonderful building is able to stay up. We rely on your help 
and we hope that that is that that help is reciprocated by some that we're able to offer you and now having been in Rome when Pope Francis invited my old boss Archbishop David Moxon, former Archbishop of New Zealand, who was representing the Anglican Communion at the time, to join him in a blessing, Anglican-Catholic blessing together. I'd like to return the favour in a, a little more, sort of, less grand way, by inviting Father Gary to join me up um, at the high altar as we both bless you at home and those who are here at this service, at the end of our service of Evensong. Father Dench. peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be upon you and remain with you, this day and always. Amen.